Hey there, welcome to night school. It's a late night one. Nothing really else to do before I go to bed, and uh, you know, I'm kind of, I wouldn't say bored. It's been a long time since I've felt genuinely bored, but nothing's really keeping my interest. I, I've been reading this Shadowrun adaptation novel, you know, Shadowrun being a, originally a tabletop RPG, and I've never played the RPG. I've flipped through, so I flipped through the source books, but I never actually played the the original tabletop RPG, if that's even what you call it. You know, traditional role-playing. I never played that, but I, I was deeply into the video games, and I, I enjoyed the newer video games they made, too. A friend turned me on to those, and I got into those for a little bit. Uh, but I've always loved the Shadowrun world. I've, lo- I've loved the way... I've loved the unique dialogue, because it's like Neuromancer, you know, it it draws heavily from its influences, but it's unique too in its own way. I feel like it brings the fantasy element into things well, it being an RPG, it, it brings in an element of fantasy without being heavy-handed, it's just there, which is perfect. But uh, in, over the years, I've acquired a few Shadowrun books, which are, you know, I guess meant to, they're meant to go along with the tabletop RPG, and they're really ridiculous, like, without even having read them, just you can tell the stories are going to be pretty over the top, even by Shadowrun standards, because they're just kind of throwaway novelizations, I don't, I don't even know if you call it a novelization, they're just one-off stories or they're parts of series and that kind of thing. But I decided to finally read one of the ones that I've bought. And it's, I don't even know, like, I'm halfway through the book and I don't even know what the story is. I like th- I like that there's an element of the Shadowrun world. Like, I like that some of the language, some of the terms, some of the feel is Shadowrun. And that's why I've even made it this far. But I haven't even been able to pick up the book the last few days because I'm just like, I don't even know what's going on in this story. I know it's about a woman who transforms into a tiger and she kills people and she likes killing people. And then all around her is the normal shadow run stuff of, you know, cyber. I mean, it's cyberpunk. Which I like, you know, I like the early cyberpunk. I'm into that. I can't, I can't deal with the other apostrophe punks that have come, you know, that have come to be popular since then. But I, I've always enjoyed cyberpunk. Uh, the the early cyberpunk for sure. I mean, I think that's an idea you can only take so far. But if you create a good world, you can do a lot with that. But I don't know if I'm gonna be, if I'm even gonna be able to finish this book because it's like each day that passes by that I don't read another chapter. I'm just like, I didn't know what was going on while I was reading it. So how am I going to pick it back up days later? We'll see. We'll see how I feel. I don't know if I'll have a book report. I mean, maybe this was the book report. Uh, In other news, though, I've had a couple auditory hallucinations lately, and that shouldn't be alarming because I was half-conscious but that said, I don't have a lot of experience with what I would consider full-on auditory hallucinations. The first one was I was meditating late at night. And uh, whenever you meditate very late, like if you're already very tired, you do start to dip into unconsciousness, like 
what some people call sleep. Oh, you mean sleep? I wouldn't say you fall asleep. I mean, that's definitely happened to me, but it's more just, you're more prone to actually not just entering that transcendental space where it's dreamlike or you're, you're completely detached from reality, the reality around you, even, even the reality inside of you. It's not quite like that. It's much more like you're drifting off into the early stages of sleep. I mean, of course that would happen if you meditate late at night when you're tired, but I'm just making the distinction because I've tried to explain to people that I probably had no business, or rather, I, I've tried I've tried to describe to people who I probably had no business describing meditation to, who probably had no interest. But I've tried to describe to them that experience that I've talked about on here, where during meditation you'll get glimpses. It's almost like you get glimpses of a dream, the start of a dream. You'll see visuals, not even a full scene. You'll just see like a person doing something briefly. A phrase will come to you. You'll have what I would consider just glimpses of something dreamlike. Something from your unconscious, you know, I guess it would be one way of looking at it. I don't know what it is. I've heard other people refer to it as going to the movies. I've heard other people call it the light show. And sometimes it is an actual light show. Like I've actually seen, I saw when I was going through a month of very deep practice, meditating for, you know, at least an hour every morning, right when I woke up, uh, there were, you know, there was a time where I saw this like curl of light. I, you know, and I always, I always have my eyes closed, but I saw this curl of light and it was almost like it winked at me and I was just like, whoa. Because that's different, because it was, it was distinctly different from the normal sort of like light patterns you see on your eyelids, which if you meditate heavily, those can become a whole thing unto themselves. Like even as a little kid, when you close your eyes and there's like, say, light patterns that kind of get through, you know, I don't know how it works, but they, you know, they, they get through your, eye, your eyelids, your eyelids. And so you'll kind of see things. Or if you like press your palms up against your eyes when your eyes are closed, how you're, you'll kind of start to see things. This is different than that, you know. Sometimes you'll actually see a very luminescent light just suddenly appear. And, and for me, it's really, I think this only happened this explicitly once, where it was just like this little curl. It was almost like a half circle, or it was almost like the shape of a crescent moon with little like spikes coming, little spikes of light coming off of it, kind of a bluish white, and it just kind of curled and then like winked itself out of existence, and I was like, holy, that's a first. You know, while I have had little visual things in meditation, while I've, I've gone into that sort of, well, I've had glimpses of those dreamlike sequences and things like that, I'd never just seen something that simple. Like just a little curl of light, uh, but I've never had like a like an actual auditory hallucination. But the other night I was, you know, I was I was drifting into half consciousness because I was very tired, and I suddenly heard an alarm go off, and it was like no alarm I had ever heard, and it wasn't loud. But my initial thought was, oh, because I just bought a new uh, carbon monoxide detector, and I was, my first thought was like that it came from the direction of the detector of the alarm. So I was like, that must've been the new carbon monoxide detector. 
but it wasn't loud enough. Like I know how those things sound. I know how, you know, a fire alarm sounds. I know how, uh, you know, a carbon monoxide detector sounds, but it was a weird, it was like a weird single alarm sound. Like it wasn't like a constant beeping because those things too, when they go off, they beep again and again. I don't need to explain to you how, how an, an alarm works, but this was just one single sound that did not repeat, but it sounded like it was in the room with me. It sounded like an alarm of some sort, but it was, it was such a unique sound. It, it was, it was pretty incredible because it was such a unique sound and I even checked the alarm, you know, I even looked around, I investigated, because it didn't seem like it was purely internal. Like it felt very external, but I knew that I was in a state of half consciousness, not even that transcendental state where you get glimpses of things or you'll hear phrases, phrases will come to you during meditation, because that's, that's in that, when I say that transcendental state, it's almost like things are being given to you and you don't have to do anything with them. You know, that's what, you know, teachers will tell you. Don't do anything with it. Don't get attached to those things that are coming to you. That said, I think you can have fun with it. You can appreciate it. Sometimes, I mean, phrases have come to me that I've been like, you know, I got to write that down. That's a cool phrase that doesn't feel like I came up with it. You know, I I don't think you have to be totally austere about these things and be like, no, you can't enjoy it. You can't take anything from it. I just think you have to be willing to let it all go. I think that's what it all comes down to with, um, you know, any kind of spiritual practice, meditation, anything like that. What I've learned is that it's not that you have to let everything go. It's not that you can't enjoy it. It's not that you can't find value in the things that come to you. The same applies to synchronicity for that matter. It's not that you can't think a synchronicity is interesting. It's not that you can't find joy or excitement in a synchronicity, it's that you have to be willing to let it go. Uh, and and you, you shouldn't add more to it than it already has, because a synchronicity is enough on its own. It's a sign of connectivity. Why do you need to add more weight to it than that? Why do you need to find more? Why do you need to like manufacture significance? But this alarm sound, I don't know what that was. But that was two nights ago, and it just, uh, it, it was, it came distinctly from my left side. And it was just once, just one single sound. And it, it, it seemed external enough that I thought I had, I was like, I need to investigate. I need, I need to make sure that an alarm isn't going off. I need to make sure that wasn't the new carbon monoxide detector. But then yesterday morning, I had a, another auditory hallucination. And I'm not alarmed. I'm not making a joke there about hearing an alarm and then being alarmed. But no, I'm not alarmed by any of this from a mental health perspective because both instances were during states of half consciousness. Like, I guess it was yesterday morning. I, I slept in and I was, um, it was Sunday. Yeah, sun, it was Sunday. And so I was laying in bed and I was awake, but I was in that half conscious state where you're. I, I'm not back in dream world. I'm not back in sleep world. I'm I'm aware of the fact that I'm in bed. But I'm not completely there yet. I'm not completely awake. I'm I'm definitely not ready to get up. And I heard someone say my name from downstairs. And it was very it was kind of an inquisitive Eric. 
Like as if somebody poked their head through the front door, like opened the front door and poked their head in to see if I was home. And I think I've mentioned on here, my friend is, you know, renting some space from me for her eBay store. And uh, so she's going to be coming by like, like basically on a schedule. But it wasn't a day where I was expecting her, but it was her voice. What was interesting is I thought about the voice because like I had to I had to ask myself like that wasn't my mom's voice, was it? Because, you know, when my mom died, I kind of thought like, oh, am I going to have some sort of experience where I hear her voice at some point? It's like Charlie Leuven talked about visiting his brother Ira's grave and singing. And at one point he, he could hear his brother singing with him. And that's the kind of thing that skeptics and people will always be like, eh, yeah, you, it's just, you just wish, you just wish your brother was singing with you. And it's like, when you think about the magic that those brothers created, you think about the magic that those two souls created, they were born as brothers and created the music they did. I wouldn't rule anything out. And I certainly wouldn't just, you know, piss on somebody's story about a magical experience they had. Whether he even, I don't even, and I don't even, I read it in Charlie Leuven's book, but I don't even know if he meant it literally. I don't even know if he meant that he literally experienced the sound of his brother's voice singing with him at the grave. But I mean, if, if something is going to create some sort of supernatural, magical moment, I think Charlie Leuven singing at his brother's grave might very well do that. If supernatural, if some sort of communication with the dead is at all possible in this world. I, I think Charlie Leuven singing at his brother's grave might very well be a gateway to that. I don't know. I'm open-minded about it. But anyway, when my mom died, I kind of thought like, oh, am I going to have that experience? I mean, I had an experience. I think it was the night she died or the next day where I went down to this. There's a lake near here and I went down to it and I had this, I was very emotional, and I had this very overwhelming sense of her in nature, in the sky. You know, it was very much a feeling of, oh, she's now a part of everything. But it wasn't her voice. It wasn't an image of her. But my mom told me an experience, like when her brother died, she was very close to one of her brothers, and he died in a car accident in the 70s. And she had an experience where she was laying in bed, and she felt the presence of somebody sitting on the bed, like somebody sat down, like that's such a distinctive feeling. And she didn't feel scared. And she, she had the feeling that it was her brother. She had, she felt like her brother sat down on the bed. And, um, you know, again, somebody can say whatever they want, but those two people, those two souls had a special connection. You know, they were two of seven kids, I think it was. And, uh, you know, it was a, a a poor family, poor farming family with lots of abuse, lots of trouble. And those two siblings managed to, you know, they, they just managed to, they, they were, they, they just managed to harmonize, you know, in, in a, in a completely chaotic situation, my mom and her brother managed to harmonize. I'm just going to try not to cry while, <laughs> while I, I say this, but, um, uh, and so it's it's kind of like with the Charlie and Ira Leuven thing, where it's like she felt the presence of her brother sit down on her bed. I don't think about this stuff a lot. Like while I do, while I am very much interested in, 
you know, the human spirit, the human soul, those are placeholder words for something that I don't have the true word for because there is no true word. But I have no shame, I have no reservation in calling them spirits or souls because I have a sense for my own spirit and soul and I have a sense for other people's spirit and soul, spirits and souls. And uh, I, I think in many cases we are born and uh, are, are given opportunities to come together with, with certain souls. And that's where, that's where, you know, recently I've mentioned like how it doesn't feel like my closest friendships were a choice ever. I don't re- ever remember thinking like I'm going to, oh, sure, I guess I'll be this person's friend. Or I really want to be this person's friend. I really wish that they'd be my friend. Oh, now they're my friend. I don't ever remember like wishing for them to be my friends. I don't ever remember wanting for them to be my friends. I don't ever remember deciding for them to be my friends. But it just seemed like it was inevitable. It seemed like it was fated. And I mean, I think that's true for your siblings, for your family. I mean, I, I, I honestly think it's true for everybody you come into contact with. But the fact that you become closer to certain people, or even if it's a temporary arrangement, just the fact that, I mean, it could be something as simple as like you work at a place and you have going into an office, you have the potential to be friends with anybody there. You don't know who they are. They don't know who you are, but you naturally start to notice that you gravitate towards certain people. And sometimes there's a reason like, oh, they make jokes I like, uh, or, they're, or they're kind of into things, or, or they, they see this place for the way that it really is, or they're positive, you know. But sometimes you just kind of, it's the same sort of process where it's like, even though you're just all at work getting by and you like to go home at the end of the day, you gravitate towards certain people. So I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have a way to like tie all this together. I'm just saying that it seems like there is something to certain souls being put together on this earth during a certain, during a given lifetime. Uh, and, you know, so I, I, given my strong connection to my mom, you know, I have wondered if I would hear her or anything, but just, I didn't hear her. That was what I was getting at, <laughs> is uh, I heard this voice downstairs yesterday morning. I was half conscious in bed, and I heard somebody say, Eric? And I had to, I had to think that... I, I was like, this isn't a mom hallucination. This isn't uh, my deceased mom talking to me. I had to ask myself that. But no, it, was, it sounded like my friend Anna's voice, which alarmed me because I was like, oh, did she think that it, today was the day that she was supposed to come over? And so I went downstairs and I looked out on the front porch and there was a package waiting for me, which I don't expect on Sundays. And it was an important package that I didn't think was going to come very soon. So if I hadn't heard this voice, I I wouldn't have known that package was there all day. And it was not very well hidden. And it it was a package I would not want to have stolen more than any others. So more than even the average package. So maybe maybe it was somebody letting me know, get that package on the porch. No, you, you can't add significance to these things. You can't know what it is. But what was significant is that just like the hallucination... While I was meditating, I was in a state of half-consciousness, and it felt external. 
because I, and I want to make that distinction because I think we've all had that experience of being in that half conscious state in bed where you're going in and out of sleep where like you'll have a dream for a second, but because you're in this weird state where you're in and out of waking up in the morning, like those little short dreams you have almost feel real. And sometimes you'll just close your eyes for a second and have a split second dream and you'll hear somebody say something, but it still feels like it's an internal part of the dream. Like you wake up right away and it almost feels like it really happened, but it's not the same as hearing it externally. Whereas when I was laying in bed and I heard somebody sounded a lot like my friend inquisitively ask my name, it, it felt like a completely external experience to the point where I got up and I looked all around. Like I made sure there were no cars in the driveway. I even opened the door and looked outside. And, you know, it sounded like this friend of mine, but, you know, she wouldn't be able to get in my house. And this voice came from inside the house downstairs. And the first thing I did is I, I checked in with her because I was just like, I wanted to make sure she was okay. I, want, I wanted to make sure this wasn't some weird thing. You know, you hear about people like getting a sign or hearing a voice and it turns out their friend or their loved one is in trouble. And so I wanted to make sure that wasn't, it wasn't one of that, one of them things. And it, it wasn't that, you know, I have no reason to read into it. I mean, the most I'm going to read into it is that I would not have checked that part of the front porch and known that Amazon delivered a package that day. Because it turns out they don't care about church. Amazon don't care about church and they deliver packages on Sunday. But, uh, you know, having two auditory hallucinations in such a short amount of time did, you know, did give me pause. You know, it did make me think, okay, huh. As someone who's never really had any auditory hallucinations, I guess the one, I think I told this story, but it was after being on a, a road trip from Washington State to the Bay Area of California, arriving in California and getting fed an insane amount of weed edibles by my friend down there, and then having insomnia and trying to sleep on this floor under the influence. And that and this was after a dry spell. Like this was during a summer, like summer of 2007, where I uh, none of my dealers were, were in town. So I hadn't had any weed for a while. And so my first experience with weed in probably a couple months was getting fed an insane amount of edibles. Like my friend made weed lasagna and weed salad dressing and weed cookies to go along with that. And, and we were smoking too. So it was just an insane amount of THC to have in your body after a dry spell and then laying there in this insomniac state. My friends were asleep. I'm just sitting there like miserable for some reason. It wasn't even like a bad trip sort of thing. I was just, just, you know, you know, when you can't sleep, I just, that's inevitably a miserable experience. And I suddenly heard what was like at deafening volume, the sound of a British police siren. And I don't know what British, I don't know what British police sirens sound like today. I, I assume they sound similar, but it's like the classic old school British police siren. Like, ee, 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 you know, it's embarrassing to even try to mimic the sound, but it's that sort of like, ee, 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 stupid. I feel so stupid saying that. Um, but uh, it was like that sound. And I remember having the thought and I was like, whoa, I didn't realize California had like British sounding police sirens. 
And it, there was even like the sensation of it driving by. Like it wasn't like it just like hovered in my ears. It was like at a deafening volume in my ears, but I had the sensation that it was driving by. But then like after, as soon as it passed the house, like it was gone. Like it wasn't like I heard it in the distance. And then it was only later that I realized, oh, I hallucinated that. I was on such a heavy amount. I was on such an insane amount of THC after driving, you know, 12 or 13 hours straight to a different state on probably very little sleep. So there was a combination of things. But like I heard this loud British police siren. And I, and I, for a second, I was like, I didn't know that California had those, <laughs> you know, uh, but sure enough, they don't, I imagined it, but, but I mean, when you're on that kind of dose of edibles and in that state, you will hallucinate. Like I've had, I've had visual hallucinations on weed edibles before where the same friend was visiting from California up here and he baked a bunch of weed cookies and, uh, you know, that's the thing that's interesting about weed being legal is knowing exactly what you're getting from every edible. Because it used to be your friends would make cookies or whatever they made. I, I mean, weed brownies weren't as popular for some reason. Like, you know, in pop culture, they always say like, oh, the old weed brownie. Oh, yeah. When I was in college in the 60s, we used to have nothing but weed brownies. And uh, in my experience, though, people just made weed cookies all the time. But you never knew what you were really getting. And uh, the friend made cookies, and he was like, hey, I think they came out pretty weak. Famous last words. I think these ones came out pretty weak, so you might need to eat a bunch. So I ate like five. And we were watching this documentary. It's called Blood in the Face. It's about, uh, it has a young Michael Moore in it, but he's not a, I think it does. But it's not like a Michael Moore documentary. There's just a segment where he interviews the guys. It was an early documentary about like the neo-Nazi movement. It's really good. And uh, I, I remember watching that, though, on this, on like five of these cookies that turned out to be not so weak. And like one of my friends is a big guy, a very big guy. He at one point during the movie, he's just like, I'm going to go walk around the block. And he, he didn't come back for a couple hours. He's like, I need fresh air. And then he just went for a walk and just didn't come back for a long time. Uh, but I'm sitting there watching the documentary. At one point, I was staring at the screen and I was seeing waves of color like just kind of like go down the screen and it wasn't anything wrong with the TV or the video or, you know, it wasn't something that was actually happening. I was just seeing these waves of color because I was on such a high amount. Literally, I, w I was literally so high on a high amount of edibles. Um, so I've had things like that happen, but to be in a completely sober state and to hear an, a weird alarm during meditation and then to hear somebody say my name, you know, what gives me a little relief is that I was in states of half consciousness. It's not like I was walking down the street and heard a voice. Like when I cut in line in, in front of the lady, actually I didn't cut. But when that lady tried to cut in line in front of me at the grocery store, in the yogurt episode I talk about that, um, and I was like, no, I'm just going to go right in front of her. I, it turns out I heard, a, I heard a voice out loud say, don't let her do that. Get your rightful place in line. Turns out I'm having tons of auditory hallucinations that are telling me what to do. But unlike the classic demonic auditory hallucinations that tell you to kill, the Son of Sam hallucinations, these ones just tell me to do normal things. 
It's like the bicameral mind, if you're familiar with that concept, which was a, an old, uh, I guess, psychological idea, it, it, kind of a anthropological, psychological idea that earlier human beings experienced more distinction between their thoughts. I can't remember exactly what it is, but basically it meant that your thoughts were divided in two. And a guy tried to use that as a way of explaining God, where it was like people used to hear what they thought was an external voice telling them things, and they interpreted that as God, and and they believed that we evolved away from that. I'm not explaining it well. It's an interesting idea, and there might be something to it. I don't know, but uh, I don't know, experiencing auditory hallucination, it's kind of exciting in its own way. I'm not trying to make a bigger deal out of this than it is. I'm sure that somebody who listens to this would be like, I experience those all the time. It's always a competition with these phantoms. There's always a phantom out there who's like, oh, you experienced two auditory hallucinations? Well, I had a complete mental breakdown and heard hallucinations heard auditory hallucinations constantly for two years. Big deal. It does make you think, though. It does make you think, like, the fact that I experienced two in such a short amount of time after, I mean, like, like I, I was, the whole reason I was talking about those other, the other one with the British police siren is because, obviously, I was under the influence of something. So it doesn't really count. Even though that's not normal, for taking edibles or being stoned for me or anything like that. It's still like, I mean, you can kind of explain it. You know, taking a road trip and then just overdoing, overdosing on THC, basically. I think that makes a little sense. But I'm also not interested in trying to like analyze it like, oh, you were in a half state of consciousness and the neurons in your brain made you think that a voice downstairs said your name inquisitively. Oh, the neurons in your brain, blah, 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 made you think you heard a siren because you knew that you installed a new carbon monoxide detector a couple weeks ago, and so somewhere in the back of your mind you were wondering what it sounds like. All that Psych 101 stuff is embarrassing. Still hitting this vape that my friend let me borrow. I, you know, I'm starting to think she didn't let me borrow it, and I'm just, it's mine now, because I think I'm going to deplete it. I've been hitting it way too much. I don't think I'm going to get addicted, though. It's all, now, you know what it is? It's the vape. It's the peach ice puff flow vape that uh, is causing me to have auditory hallucinations. That explains it. This all happened, as <laughs> this, this this really did all happen as soon as I got the vape, and it's a tobacco vape, it's a nicotine vape, it's not even a weed vape. This all started happening when I got the peach ice puff flow. It started to get, oh, that'd be the new craze that hits the news, is like, uh, peach ice puff flow, nicotine vaporizers are causing people to hallucinate. With all the vape hysteria. Vape hysteria. All we need now is audio, auditory hallucinations to go along with that. But there's something kind of exciting about that. There is. I mean, I think we all like, you know, at least me, like I like things to feel that way. I like things to be somewhat supernatural. I mean, I don't like talking about my dreams on here, as you know. I'm a, I'm, I th- I, I'm a dream sensor. 
Like when people start talking about their dreams, unless it's a truly interesting dream or unless I was in it, because I always want to know about that. But uh, unless it's a truly interesting dream, I'm always like, shut up, just shut up. You know, talking about your dreams is, you know, just it's I don't know. I haven't gotten there yet. I probably will eventually. You know, like I've said before, it'll probably be like five years from now. I'll do nothing but dream analysis on here. But right now, it's like talking about your dreams. It's like hearing somebody talk about brushing their teeth or, you know, it's just, it's not that interesting to me. But I will say, I don't know if anybody else has had this experience, but like where you can still see a dream that you were having after you wake up. I had a dream once where it involved like a train station, like an old timey train station, but it was really small. It was like the size of a small lobby. And I I don't, and like even worse than talking about your dreams is like doing it inaccurately, (laughs) you know, like it's one thing to tell somebody about your dreams, but it's even worse if you don't even remember what the dream was. Like you're trying to remember the dream as you explain it to somebody. That's, that's torture. They should do that at Abu Ghraib to those terror terrorists because that'll get them to confess real quick. Just start telling them what you remember about your dream as you go. You'll get a confession out of them real quick. But uh, anyway, being in this weird train station, it was very dark. And, you know, my nightmares never involve somebody like attacking me. They're always like a the presence of a person. It's always somebody just looking at me. Like I had a girlfriend who, because I have these night terrors sometimes where I make whimpers. It's really pathetic. It's really kind of embarrassing. But I'm also kind of proud of it in a weird way. Uh, but girlfriends have had to like shake me awake. They're like, you're, you're whimpering. You're, you're, sometimes I'll scream. It's all very high pitched. Um, but, uh, one time my girlfriend had to like woke, she woke me up cause I was having a nightmare. And the next morning she told me, you said a horse was looking at you. And I immediately got chills down my spine. Because I knew exactly what that meant. Like, even though I didn't remember it, I couldn't remember the dream of a horse looking at me. I can, I can imagine exactly what it was about that in my dream that would terrify me. Because it almost always involves someone or something looking at me. And like, sometimes they're more overtly creepy than not. Like, I had a dream as a kid that I looked out my bedroom window and there was a guy in like a military-style jeep not a military guy, but just a guy in a military style Jeep, just like staring up at my window. And that's obviously creepy, but still like a lot of my nightmares just involve like the presence of somebody and not just the presence of somebody, but the pre- like the presence of somebody who is directing their focus at me. And sometimes it's apparently a horse. But uh, as goofy as that sounded, like as goofy as it was to hear my girlfriend be like, You said a horse was looking at you and to be having a nightmare about that. Like I knew exactly what that meant in the context of my nightmares. But anyway, in this one that I'm trying to explain here, it was like I was in a like this empty. It was like a closed, you know, train, you know, old timey like train station and uh, the in the inside part where like there's benches and stuff, but really small. 
and I fell down and there was nothing like painful in the dream about it, but I just felt like I slipped. Cause I mean, another one of those things that everybody experiences and a lot of my nightmares involved too, is like being frozen or tripping, you know, not being able to talk those common things that people experience. Uh, but in the in this dream, it was like I fell down, but there was no like violent action to me falling. It was more like I, it was more like freezing. It was more like being unable to move. And I saw just this kind of like figure up ahead of me or above me. And it wasn't even like they were going to actually do anything to me, but that was enough to cause me to scream. And so I woke, I, I screamed so loud that I woke myself up and I st- I remember that there was this doorway with kind of stone around it in the dream. It was like like it was a stone train station. And there was some sort of like dark doorway with, yeah, kind of like, like brickwork or stone. And I, after opening my eyes and being awake, I actually saw that on the wall of my room. And I watched it fade and become a real doorway that was to my ba- to my bathroom. And so I actually could still see that part of the dream after opening my eyes. It was it's the only time that I've ever experienced that where I could still see part of the dream for a second. I couldn't see the figure, but I could still see part of the I could still see the exact like texture and brickwork or whatever it was, the stonework of the wall of this train station and the the doorway or window or whatever it was that was in the dream and I saw it just, I could see it for a second, a couple seconds after opening my eyes, but I, but it was sort of cut off. It was sort of like a gradient that faded into my real room. And then the whole thing just kind of faded. And I was just like, that was really strange. I've never had, I've never continued to see something from a dream after opening my eyes. And that just, somebody would probably say that's impossible. Somebody would be skeptical about that. I can't explain it. I don't care to explain it. I'm also not going to read into it. It was just something I experienced. I get so defensive about these things because, you know, we live in a world where everybody's a skeptic now. And being wrong, you know, it's funny just to go to a different topic because I don't have anything more to say. I just thought it was interesting to experience, you know, auditory hallucinations recently that dream where I could still see part of the dream after waking myself up screaming. Maybe if you scream yourself awake, you still see part of the dream. <laughs> Maybe you can reproduce it on your own. Just have have a an imposing figure scare you in a train station and wake yourself up by screaming so high-pitched and loud that you might still see part of the wall of the dream train station you were in. Try it. Try it at home. But no, I, I guess like I'm, I feel so defensive about like skepticism and uh, questioning. Like, we think we're such experts in everything now. And I was thinking about this earlier, how it's like people think it should be illegal to be wrong now. Like, and this isn't even the whole like, oh, it should be illegal to be offensive. Like, this doesn't even get into the whole like free speech thing, although it does partly. Because like we saw where people were getting banned from public platforms for spreading misinformation about coronavi. But it plays into something much larger, which is that like being wrong is considered completely, not just socially unacceptable, like legally unacceptable. And, you know, I grew up during a time like 
you know, granted, like, by the time I was a teenager, like, the information age was, you know, more or less here in a, in a smaller way than it is now, but it was here. But still, like, I grew up in a world where, like, you could still have urban legends because nobody could look them up. Like, one of the first really popular websites I became aware of after getting the internet, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, were, like, the urban legends websites where they would you know, document urban legends and prove or disprove them. But it's like, I grew up at a time where you could actually still hear those or even tell them and nobody would be able to verify it. Like some would sound ridiculous. Like some urban legends, you would just know right off the bat, that's bullshit. But there were a lot of them where you would really have no idea. And I was even amazed, like when I got the internet and was able to look at these urban legends websites, I was amazed that... I saw urban legends on there that I heard myself in person as a, as a kid. Like the, the one, I think I've mentioned it on here before, but still, it was this one where when I was in like sixth or seventh grade, there was a rumor going around that this girl who was older than we were that didn't even go to the school anymore, but I knew her by name. Like she was a real girl who had, who had gone to that school and like, you know, like my friend's, you know, my, my friend's sister was friends with her or something, you know, she did exist. And I still remember her name. I just didn't know her, like, because she was older than I was. But there was a rumor going around. They said, you know, that girl Beth asked the science teacher, and they said the science teacher, they said, Bath, (laughs) they said, (laughs) Bath, they said, Beth asked Mr., um, what's his name? Mr. Baglaw. Mr. Baglaw. Uh, Yeah. Beth asked Mr. Beglaw why cum tastes like salt. And, like, the whole thing was that Beth is a slut. Beth, like, there were rumors about, because the thing was, there were rumors about this girl that she was promiscuous. And a rumor went around that that Beth asked Mr. Beglaw why cum tastes like salt. And the idea was that she did it very innocently. Like, she didn't realize what she was volunteering when she said that. But that rumor went around, and I heard it, and I was just like, oh, that's crazy. Like, I didn't have any information to prove or disprove it. I wasn't there. I just was like, whoa, that's crazy. I didn't completely believe it either, but it wasn't something... Like, I didn't think that this was an urban legend that made its rounds throughout the entire country, and I found out it was. I found out that 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 was a story people told, insert local girl's name here, which is a nasty thing to say about a girl, obviously. But still, like, I found out that that was a story that was told nationally, and I'm so fascinated by how urban legends could travel in the same way that I'm fascinated by how slang could travel. Because you think, like, things were far more localized, and yeah, kids moved around, like, maybe some kid went to go visit his cousin in a a different state one summer and was like, we call things uh, cool. And someone was like, yeah, that's cool. And, And pop culture plays a role and all that, but still... Urban legends in particular were always fascinating to me because it's like the cum tastes like salt girl is one that made its rounds, it turns out, throughout the entire country, and it, and it came to my school too. And a local girl's name was inserted, and a, a local teacher, a teacher at my school's name was included. It's, it's like people filled in the blanks, and it's just that's so fascinating to me that that could happen. But now you think, like, telling an urban legend makes you a criminal. 
Like, like some of the, some of the, I mean, it makes you a conspiracy theorist. It makes you a criminal. It means you're hurting people. It means you're dangerous. I mean, I know I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not as much as you'd think. Like things are at a point where people are really mad when they think you're wrong. And so many people are wrong in different ways and right in different ways. And uh, everybody's accusing each other of being wrong. And everybody, in the same way that I've talked about how people have become these little politicians, where it's almost like everything they say is crafted to have some sort of political impact while also being completely hollow, you know, while also being completely empty. People have also become these little experts in everything. And of course, like having access to the internet is a part of that. You can look up everything. You can learn all about something in a day in an hour. But people have become these little experts and they'll tell you everything you need to know. And and if you're wrong, they'll let you know that too. And they'll be mad at you for being wrong. I'm going to hit the vape. I just announced The only reason I'm announcing that is just because if you hear silence, you might think the recording stopped. You know, you might think something's wrong. Something's wrong. You might think I'm hearing another auditory hallucination and suddenly went silent. I heard the alarm and somebody say my name at the same time. My auditory hallucinations are are becoming combined. That would suck if I just heard those two auditory hallucinations forever. Like I never, like I'm waiting for the third one because I do believe in the rule of thirds. I do believe things come in threes. I'm waiting for my third auditory hallucination. And maybe I'm jinxing it by even talking about these, but who cares? It's funny. I see these things as as, as way less sacred than I used to. I used to think like, oh, I can't talk about that because it's sacred. I'll, I'll disrupt the process. My mom dying is what completely blew the lid off of that. Where I was like, oh, this whole thing is the altar. This whole thing is sacred. The idea of like hiding my experiences or hiding my, you know, trying to like clutch these jewels close to my chest or they'll get away from me. Oh, if you if you talk about synchronicity, you're going to stop synchronicity from happening. You can't stop it. You can't stop it. You can't, you know, so at some point the lid, and I know the exact point that it happened, you know, my mom dying is, is the moment that the lid was blown off completely when it comes to like, you know, I mean, we all end up, anybody who's interested in spirituality, you're inevitably going to still go through spiritual materialism. It's like the ego death thing I always use as the example, where the second you think of yourself as like, oh, I'm not being, you know, I'm not being a spiritual materialist. I'm not attaching myself to my spiritual experiences. The second you say that is like, that itself is attaching yourself to, to the, that. And that itself is attaching yourself to the spiritual experience to say that you're not doing it and to celebrate that. Um, but, uh, anyway, (laughs) just with the, uh, with the wrong thing, I want to go back to that because I I had more to say about that. You know, the idea that like being wrong is considered borderline criminal now. 
And that didn't used to be the case. I'm glad that I grew up at a time where people were wrong all the time. People were like honestly talking about complete bullshit all the time when I was growing up. Like my sister's boyfriend would be over and he would just hang out with me the entire time. Like I, I never had any brothers, but my sister had this boyfriend for a while when she was in like maybe like ninth and 10th grade. I don't remember how old she was, but like she was 15 and he would just hang out with me and and he would uh, bully me, but in the right way, you know, because everybody, everybody needs to be bullied a little bit. And if you don't believe that, you really need to be bullied. You really need to be bullied. Um, but uh, yeah, her boyfriend was just like this big, he was extremely immature. And uh, so, but he would just spend all of his time with me and we would just like wreak havoc. Like, like we would, uh, one time we, he had a friend who, it was summer and he had a friend who was sleeping in his tent in his backyard or in his front yard actually, which is weird, sleeping in a tent in your front yard. It's very dangerous. People could come up on you. I'm way too paranoid to sleep in a tent in my front yard. But we knew this. He knew that his friend was sleeping in a tent. So we took BB guns. He had a pellet gun. I had a BB gun. And we went and we just started shooting whole, like little, probably, I don't know. I assume the pellets pierced the, the tent. I don't know if my BBs just bounced off or what. But either way, we started shooting at the tent. Another time, he lived near this train, this overlook that overlooked the train tracks. And again, like this kid shouldn't, this guy should not have had a pellet gun because he took his pellet gun and me and another friend of his, who was just kind of a lackey, we picked up rocks and when the train went by, he planned this. And when the train went by, he started shooting pellets at it and it was a dinner train. So there were like, we could see people like sitting, it moved slowly and we could see people sitting there having their train dinner. I think it was called the Spirit of Washington. I think that was the name of the train. Hey, even trains have spirits. If a train can have a spirit, a human can too. But uh, we were throwing rocks while he was shooting pellets. I don't know. I mean, I'm lucky that the pellets didn't ricochet back at us. I don't think those would pierce a train. They wouldn't break a train window. But we were throwing rocks and shooting pellets. And so, so like, we would get up to some real mischief. Um, but anyway... Uh, I don't know. I'm just, these stories are fracturing. I guess just my point is that he would tell me like such utter bullshit. Like he had, he came from California and so he had all these stories about that. He had all these urban legends, all these like rumors, like you'd hear celebrity rumors. I mean, like there's the obvious ones like Marilyn Manson, like getting his ribs removed so he could suck his own D, his dicky. Uh, you'd hear things like that. Those are a little bit later. But there, there were a lot of them, you know, there, there were a lot of them. And it seems like that it was more, you were more likely to hear bullshit like that than you were to hear real facts. Like you'd hear random things about celebrities because celebrities were so detached from your own reality. It wasn't like you saw them on social media or, I mean, like the stars really have been brought down a little bit closer by all of this new technology. And so that was a whole different experience where these didn't seem like real people and people talked about them in ways that weren't real either. They would tell stories about things celebrities did that it turns out weren't true. And that was just part of the currency of conversation. And it actually made things more interesting in my experience. Like, it was interesting that like you never knew what somebody was going to say. Like, yeah, you still had people that... Like, like some 
jerk now could go back to like 1993 and say, oh, they're still NPCs then because they're just like quoting sitcoms and into whatever people are into. It's not like people were fundamentally more original in 1993 or whatever year. But it's just that like because there there was like just more chaos to it in my experience, you know. It seems like you could talk about anything and nobody could look it up. Nobody, nobody was, you know, there was just no way to verify things, especially in the moment. And how would you even verify it later? Like, where would you even look it up? The newspaper, the news? It's like not everything was in the newspaper. So there was just a much higher rate of like people saying whatever they wanted. And it wasn't just people lying. It was just like people just riffing just talking about things. And uh, now we live in an age where like you really can't even do that because somebody's going to look it up. Somebody's going to tell you you're wrong. We are these little experts in everything. And I mean, I, I really think that is like a plague of our era is this false expertise. And then you have like people putting other experts on a pedestal. Trust the experts. Listen to the expert. The expert of the moment. Listen to the expert of the moment. It's like, uh, you know, then that expert falls from grace. And now, now we have a new expert for you to listen to. But uh, that's okay. I mean, we human beings, we like to feel like there are some people who have expertise in certain things. And of course, there are people who do, you know, doctors do have expertise in medicine. They're improvising. That's why it's called a practice. But uh, I don't know if that's a joke or not. But, uh, you know, everybody's improvising. But there are people who develop expertise in certain subjects. I mean, there are certain subjects that I do know a lot about. There are subjects I know nothing about. There are people I would call to ask them certain questions about certain things. There are certain people I listen to because they know what they're talking about on a given subject as much as a person can. But it does bother me that just the average person just, you know, even just like saying, trust the experts. No, no, you have to listen to my expert. Even that is a form of being a little expert, which which is like the worst kind of little expert is the one whose expertise is in expertise (laughs) like like you're an expert in experts like like i'm an expert in who you should listen to which really does seem like the logical conclusion of all that crap man it's just like crap man it's uh the logical conclusion of all this like false expertise is just like i'm an expert in experts i'm an expert in expertise what does that mean? Just trust me. But it does seem like people really want to punish you for being wrong. Socially punish you, anything. It's like talking about... It. Meanwhile, there's also this like new emphasis in academia on like the lived experience. Where it's like, you know, that's sort of what urban legends are. Like even if you didn't experience it, it's like oral storytelling and all that. That's all urban legends were. It was oral story storytelling. Oral story storytelling. Oh, is this a story storytelling? 
But it was fun. I mean, I really do have to emphasize that it was fun that people could just kind of go off about things. They could just tell you things, and you'd think about it. And you might never forget it. And then what's interesting, though, is like those sites that I'm talking about, and I'm not going to name them by name. I'm just going to say urban legend websites. Websites that prove, disprove, or can't quite conclude whether this urban legend is real. Those websites. There's one in particular that's very famous. But what's weird is that those started that way, and now they became political fact-checkers, which tells you exactly... That's like a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. Where in the same way that people used to kind of just riff about urban legends and talk about random bullshit, and it didn't really matter if they were wrong or not. And like you could tell them, like if you found out they were wrong, they'd just be like, okay. You know, they, it wouldn't be a big deal to them. It wasn't like something they would dig their heels in on. Like if you were like, oh, it turns out, hey, oh, hey, by the way, you know, last week you told me Marilyn Manson, Marilyn Monsoon took his bottom, his floating ribs out to suck his own dicky. Last week you told me that and I found out today it wasn't true. They'd be like, okay. Somebody else told me it and that'd be it. Nowadays, if that kind of rumor made its rounds today, like let's say that like in this modern world of social media and weird little politicians and little experts. Yeah, things were better when things were a lot better when we had little rascals. Now we just got little experts, little politicians. But, um, you know, in today's world, I feel like what would happen is if somebody said, hey, Marilyn Manson, um, he had his floating ribs removed to suck his own dicky. Somebody would like be like, somebody would be like, no, he didn't. And then the person who said it would dig their heels and be like, yes, he did. And then the other person would be like, well, somebody else would like weigh in. They'd be like, well, no, he actually had this removed so he could do this. And it would be this like mutant, never ending argument where like all possible, all possibilities are covered. Everybody has dug their heels in on every little detail. And then you're not even arguing about Marilyn Mansoon. Uh, sucking his own dicky anymore. You're talking about Marilyn Monsoon. I can't. I can't decide whether his name's Marilyn Mansoon or Marilyn Monsoon. I can't decide what's stupider. Um, but you'd end up arguing not even about whether he can suck his own dicky. You'd end up arguing about the exact like bone he had removed, and nobody would end up being right. But everybody would be equally convicted. They would have equal conviction. In what they were saying. That's the world we're in now. Whereas like in 1996 or whenever that rumor started. It was just like. Marilyn Manson had his rib removed. So he could suck his own dicky. Read all about it. And then somebody else says. Oh no it turns out it's not true. And the person goes. Oh okay. That'd be it. But now it's just like. Let's fight over it forever. Let's fight over whether Marilyn Manson can suck his own dicky. That's the world we're in today. And Snopes, oh, oh, I didn't want to say the name, 
Now you know what urban. Now you know what extremely popular urban legend website I'm talking about. But I do think that when that site transformed from like just a a goofy pop culture urban legend sort of site into like a political fact checker, you knew something was playing out socially to go along with that. Like you knew that people themselves were becoming these little experts who were no longer interested in urban legends because urban legends haven't existed for you know, 20 years. Urban legends were killed by the internet. Urban legends were killed by the internet. So of course that site isn't going to have anything new to publish and they're now going to have to just talk about, you know, conspiracy theories and political opinions, things Trumpsfeld said, you know, and that's just a perfect illustration of how that's played out socially where it's like, we're really serious about whether what you say about a given subject is right or wrong. Personally, I like to be right most of the time. There are times where I don't. But I like to be right about the things I care about. And when I'm wrong, I guess I like it to be interesting because it changes my view. It makes the world more interesting to be wrong because it's not what I thought. If something happened, that wasn't what I thought it was. And I'm not invested in one outcome or the other. But, uh, you know, it's not like I'm saying, oh, I'm, I I sure wish I could go around spreading misinformation. But you see those sorts of words where it's like, I, I saw some, I saw a newspaper article. I don't know if you can even call them newspapers. But I saw a news article in a mainstream publication, a very popular, one of the biggest news sites. It's not newspapers, they're news sites now. But I, I saw where they were talking about like shutting down certain platforms because those platforms can be used to spread misinformation. And it's such a weird hysteria around misinformation. Because, yeah, we want people to have the right information about important things that concern life and death. Like, even though there is a ton of bullshit that goes along with uh, coronavirus, I understand wanting people to have accurate information about that. I understand that. But it's weird that that idea has been multiplied and magnified and uh, what's another M word that ends in fied? Um, I can't think of one. But it's interesting that that idea has been magnified and multiplied toward everything now. To where it's like just the simple idea of misinformation of any kind needs to be flagged, needs to be removed, you need to be punished. And it's not a good trend. Because the truth is, you know, information changes. Reality does shift. Our interpretation of reality shifts and changes. You know, things are moving. As much as there are as much as there is consistency, as much as there is order, there's a whole lot of chaos and there's a lot of things moving. So it's strange to me that people want to lasso that. They want to have total control. And I don't even think they know what they're doing. I think some of them know what they're doing. I think like there are some people who know the power of that. But when you think about the little experts, I don't think the little experts of our world today uh, 
I, I don't think that they are consciously doing it because they... I don't think they they consciously know it's just an exercise in raw power. I think they actually think they're doing their part to make the world better. And, I, I mean, yeah, you can bring up cliches like the path to hell is paved with great intentions. You can, you know, there's a reason why that phrase, you know, continues to be relevant. It's a cliche, but there's a reason why a phrase like that continues to be relevant. Because I think a lot of these little experts do have good intentions. And and, I, and I'm not saying that they're spreading misinformation either. But it's the fact that they think that... I mean, there's the term gatekeepers, like, and, and I can't think of a better term, but it's like the fact that they think that they need to be the gatekeeper. And I don't even know what they think they're guarding. I don't know why you'd even want to do that in our world today. You know, I, I don't actually understand it. While I understand they think they're doing the right thing, I don't understand why they even want to do it at all. <laughs> um, but who am I to say? I'm just hearing auditory hallucinations. Alarms and my name. My two favorite things in the world. The two most important things to me in the world. An alarm and my name. If you're going to have an auditory hallucination, it might as well be something that's important to you. It would suck if it wasn't. It would suck if my auditory hallucination was somebody saying, Dan? Joe? Philip? It would suck if it was somebody saying somebody else's name. Then I'd be really worried. So we call holding the vape up close to the mic, doing a little uh, vaping close to the mic. I understand vaping jokes are tired. I'm not trying to make vaping jokes. I, although I haven't heard them. I, vape, you know vapes have become way more ingrained in our society because people are making fewer like ironic vape jokes. For a while, like everybody I knew was, was doing that. Vape much? Oh, you guys doing some vaping? Actually, yeah. Peach ice puff flow. Got a peach ice puff flow, 5%. It's got 5% nicotine. Got 5% nicotine. Extra, extra, read all about it. No, we're in a weird time. We're in an extremely weird time. And not for all the obvious reasons either. It's not just uh, the the obvious, like a year, over a year into crony, crony vi. I mean, it, this this shit has been going on so long. Like I'm even sick of saying crony vi. I even I'm starting to feel like I need to come up with a new phrase for it, and I don't even know if it's still around. I don't even know what's going on. Um, but uh, things this month has felt extremely weird, and it's gone in in several different phases for me. And I'm not going to get all dear diary about it because not that much has actually happened, but just my sense of things. And then now, like the last few days, you know, current events, but like shootings are going on apparently. And, you know, wasn't I just saying like 
not not that I'm going to get all Nostradami here, but uh, I was just saying a couple weeks ago where I was like, you know, I don't have my finger on the pulse, and then suddenly I was like, you know what, I'm starting to get my finger on the pulse, and it's hostile, it's potentially violent, it's not good. And then now it's like we're already seeing little echoes of that. We're already seeing where like the tension is just spilling out. And uh, you know I'm gonna keep doing what I'm what I do. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to keep doing what I do as best I can. Like I'm I, I don't want to do anything to contribute to the negative state of the world. But it's just I'm really concerned that we're gonna enter a period of substantial hostility and it's already been here you know we've seen how the hostility spilled out already but I mean like I'm talking like it's gonna be physical you're gonna wish you're having you're gonna wish that your nightmares are just a horse staring at you but maybe for me that's all that's it's gonna be for me like uh, that's all I'm talking about when I talk about things getting hostile things getting violent all I mean is that a horse is going to stare at me. A horse is going to watch me as I take a toke from the peach ice puff flow. But, I mean, I've got nothing with as far as that goes. As far as the world goes, it's out of my hands. And what's good, though, is like I, I can look at the news, which I don't look at often, but I, I like to know what's going on a little bit. But I can look at it and feel nothing. I can look at what's going on in politics and feel nothing. I am happy about that. Even though I have opinions, even though I have leanings, even though I have thoughts, I feel very fortunate that I can look at at things and just think, I don't feel anything about this. Not that I don't have empathy when something tragic happens, but that I can look at it and say, like... This doesn't need to change how I feel right now. You know, I feel fortunate about that. I just wish I could spread more misinformation. I just wish I, I just wish urban legends were still around. Because I do miss that part of the world. I, I do miss that um, that time in history where you could just say things. And this show is sort of a celebration of that. Like, I would never want somebody to listen to this show and be like, oh, he's an expert. And obviously there's no chance of that. If somebody listens to this show and they think that I'm an expert in what I'm talking about, I'm impressed by that. I'm impressed that you're that gullible. But, uh, you know, I think shows like this are a celebration of that, which is really interesting because I've seen popular podcasts get called on the carpet because I mean you just look at the comment section on popular podcasts and it's incredible what people are upset about oh you listen to this guy nine hours a week and you're upset that he repeats himself sometimes but what gets me above all else is this little experts thing because a criticism that I've seen increasingly is podcast popular podcasts get called on the carpet for spreading misinformation. And I've actually seen where the hosts of popular podcasts have apologized for it. And I'm like, you don't have to do that. You're just talking. about, And you're not claiming to be an expert. You're just somebody who talks about random stuff. 
You don't need to apologize or make retractions. You're not the media. You're not an academic. You're not somebody who's claiming to know exactly what you're talking about. And most podcast hosts will just say, like, oh, they'll they'll do what I just did and give some, like, phony, self-deprecating, like, oh, I don't know anything line. So why would you feel the need to apologize or make a retraction or a correction? Like, we all, yeah, if I say something wrong, I'll correct it just for the sake of, you know, doing it. But it's like I've seen where, where people are calling, like, podcast and YouTube hosts out for these things and the person, like, apologizes as if they were a newspaper issuing a correction when, if anything, is a celebration of the old urban legend and random pre-internet bullshitting that used to go on. Podcasts are that. And that's one of the reasons why they had this boom and became so popular is because they're a place where people just riff, where people just say whatever they want, whether it's a, a freak like me who talks to himself or somebody who interviews people, either way, they're loose. And yeah, there are some that try to be like, we're a historical podcast. There are some that that try to, you know, cover a certain specialty, or they do try to offer expertise, you know, but they usually communicate that up front. I feel like podcasts and online shows, online radio, anything like that, I feel like unless they say up front, we're trying to be experts in this subject. You should just assume they're just BSing. And if some of it's interesting, if some of it's relevant to you, cool. But for the most part, you're just listening to somebody go off, off the top of their head. So to hold a, to hold a podcast to that kind of standard is, is very funny to me. Yet people do it. And then the hosts of those shows feel the weight of it. And are like, well, I'd like to say that I was wrong and I'm sorry. You should be sorry about that. Last week, I did a podcast episode where I stated that I heard two auditory hallucinations. One was an alarm. One was a friend of mine saying my name inquisitively. I'd just like to say that there is no science to back up the idea of spontaneous auditory hallucinations. And that I was wrong. Auditory hallucinations are a very serious matter. And often a sign of some sort of psychological ailment. And they should be not talked about openly and loosely. They should certainly not be joked about. Do you want to live in that world? I mean, you do. But you can make that world something else, too. You don't have to participate in that. You don't have to play that game. That's something that's important to remember. Don't play the same game the people, let me put it this way, the people who you feel are steering the world in the wrong direction are people that you don't even want to play the game with. You don't want to play their game, and you don't have to. You can set an example yourself. Like, sometimes you have to speak openly. 
I mean, sometimes you have to say something openly. You have to put your foot down. You have to argue a little bit, maybe. But you can just be an example of the world that you want to live in. By supporting the things that uphold that. By not engaging with the things that don't. Because I saw a comment from someone just a couple days ago where they, they just said the discourse is over. And I, I had the same exact feeling recently. And so seeing somebody verbalize it that way, I was just like, yep, they said it. I no longer want to have a conversation with people about half of this stuff. And it's not that I, I'm having that conversation, but we're all privy to it. We're all seeing these conversations. And as much as I celebrate discussion and conversation, the utter nonsense, the just this war between little experts, to me it's just a sign that the discourse is over. And not permanently, probably. No, of course not permanently. But I don't know what's going to come from that. But I think you're going to see fewer and fewer people who, you know, actually want to engage that way. Engage each other that way. Because you're not engaging with each other. When you're coming from this place that you're a little expert in everything and everybody else has to be a little expert too, or they suck. They suck and they're dangerous. You know, you don't. fewer and fewer people are going to want to participate in that. And I know personally very few people who want to as it is. The people I care about don't want to participate in that. But the people who do are so loud. But yeah, there is a know-it-all syndrome, you know, as much as I defend or at least justify the digital world. I'm not out to demonize it. You know, there is a, a certain know-it-allness that has been a byproduct of it. And, you know, I mentioned, like, history podcasts and things like that. And, like, there's some that I, like, I listened to one for a little bit just out of curiosity. And you could tell, like, all they did to prepare is, like, read the Wikipedia article about this battle. You could tell. I mean, that's not true for all of them. I know there's history podcasts and things that really get into it and do a lot of original deep research. But there was one that was very popular for a little bit. A couple guys were doing it and it was meant to be lighthearted and everything. But like I, I listened to it a few times and like while the guys were funny and everything, I was like, oh, all these guys do is read a Wikipedia article about a battle so that they have a couple real things they can say about it. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But I just thought it was it was kind of a weird realization where I was like, oh, yeah, these guys, all they do, like their show is supposed to be this like dive into history and all it is is just here's a couple points from wikipedia here's a couple notes i took from wikipedia they're not hurting anybody though they're not hurting anybody they're not hostile they're not violent i mean that is one byproduct of of the age that we're living in though where there are certain people that i think i used to hold grudges against But things have gotten to the point where I now see those people as far more like me than they are not. Especially when it comes to, you know, I guess the free speech, 
issue, which is central for me. And I think like sometimes it's as simple as like I'll look at somebody and I think like that person thinks that people should be able to express themselves more or less however they want. And I used to have a grudge against them for some other reason, like somebody that I knew through like art or music or something. And now I'm just like, you know what? Like, I'm so glad they exist because I know where they stand on an issue that's important to me. And so in some ways, like this really has not necessarily brought brought people together, but it's made me more tolerant of things that I think I was stupidly intolerant toward. And if you can be more tolerant in a world of little experts and their intolerance for anything that they perceive as misinformation or conspiracy theory or urban legend for that matter. I mean, these people would, urban legends would have been a nightmare for these people. If you tried to have that mindset 30 years ago, life would be a nightmare trying to prove and disprove and confirm every little thing that people say. But I feel like the people that I have a certain kinship with, like they might not even be people that I consider friends, but they're just maybe acquaintances. They might be people that I've known in passing. But I do feel a certain kinship with them now more than ever because I think like they are a product of that same world that I'm talking about. And they seem to support the basic values that I care about. And that's all I really want from people. Not for them to agree with me, but just to feel like I can coexist with them. Because the way things have developed, the way things have progressed, or re, you know, regressed, really, the way they've degenerated, is it, it feels like you can't coexist with so many people these days. And I feel like I can coexist with most people. But if, I, if even I'm feeling that way, if even I'm feeling like I can't coexist like on a day-to-day basis with most people, I wonder what other people feel who do react, who do feel things when they look at the news. Like, how are those people dealing with this all, you know? And even just thinking about that makes me not want to deal with them. Because I think an unfortunate thing is, is that the last year has not brought people closer together. It has not made people more enlightened. It has not given them perspective. I can only hope that I've gained some perspective. I can only hope that I'm not talking utter nonsense right now. I hope people know what I'm talking about. I hope I'm making some level of sense. But it just kind of blows my mind that people had an opportunity to clear their heads, to focus on necessity, to focus on self-improvement. I mean, because that was a, a, a big thing, was exactly a year ago, I saw a lot of people running. I saw a lot of people walking. I saw a lot of people getting exercise, people who couldn't go to the gym, but they were finding some way to stay in shape, to get in shape. I saw a lot of chubby people running, actually, and that's always cool. I know how good that must feel. Like, I can't even imagine, because I didn't start running until I was already in pretty good shape. Like, I used to be fat, but, like, 
I didn't start running until I was already in decent shape. And I can only imagine how exciting it is to consistently run when you're fat. Like to see the amount of change that your body must go through must be incredible. So I was really excited to see that. I was really excited a year ago when I saw, you know, chubby people jogging. (laughs) I was really excited. No, but I was. I was just like, as much as I was like, kind of like, hey, I want to walk without running into people. There was also a part of me that was like really happy that I saw people out doing physical things because I was like, this is only going to help them. But there reached a point, and I think it was last summer. I think it was around the time, you know, of the BLM protests and riots and all that, where I noticed that there was a huge drop off. And some of it might have just been people who didn't didn't develop the discipline to keep doing what they were doing. But it also seemed like suddenly a dark cloud came over. In addition to the coronavirus, it was like a dark social political cloud came over everything that told everybody to stay inside and stay sedentary and drink more. I feel like that that cloud came over things. And, uh, you know, it's the same time of year as the initial lockdown last year, and I'm not seeing people exercising that much. There's a couple people I see who who are out jogging. I do see some people out on little walks here and there, but I'm outside a lot. And I'm not seeing people who, you know, are exercising nearly as much and and all that, which just, it just sucks because I know how much exercise helps. It's a little thing you can do to make yourself feel better, and nobody who does it ever says they regret doing it. Nobody who exercises ever says, oh yeah, I really regretted going for a run today. Oh, I really regretted lifting weights. I really regretted going for a long walk. While they might not have wanted to do it before they did it, You never hear from somebody who just did it saying, I wish I hadn't done that. I've literally never talked to a single person who runs or lifts weights or does anything physical who, as soon as they finish, says, sure wish I didn't do that. Yeah, if you injure yourself, if you do something stupid, that's a different story. But in terms of just getting the exercise, no matter how much you don't want to do it, you never hear somebody say afterwards, I wish I didn't do that. I wish I hadn't done that. You never hear that. And those are the things to pay attention to. Think about the things that people do where they never say they regret it. And they always seem to feel better for it and will tell you as much. I mean, if anything, when you're done exercising, you have to have restraint not to be like, get it, everybody. Get it. Here's a picture of me sweating. Go get it. You know, you have to show restraint not to do that. But nobody turns around and says, oh, I wish I wouldn't have gotten sweaty. I wish I wouldn't have run, gone running. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe I'm spreading misinformation and people are better off. Maybe people have done a lot of Maybe they've been able to reprioritize their thinking. Maybe they have cleared their minds. Maybe people will be better than ever, and I'll be as happy as you can be if that's the case. 
but I just I worry that it's not, and I see a lot of signs that it's not. But what do I know? I'm just a guy who gets auditory hallucinations and takes puffs off of this peach ice puff flow. I don't know. A lot of random ideas packed in here as usual. But it's on my mind. All this stuff is on my mind. And it feels good to get it out. Cuz I don't I don't you know, I don't sit around like dwelling on these things. Because I have a show, because I have a a place to offer my ideas. I say more than I probably ought to. You know, it's it's like because I started this show way back when, I basically have this blank canvas in front of me whenever I want it. And when you have a blank canvas in front of you, you're going to throw stuff on it. So this show, it has an element of that. But these are things that cross my mind. I mean, every time I go to the grocery store... I really think about life. Like, I can't not notice the state of people when I'm in those situations. And maybe I'm just not looking in the right places, but just lately I've just had this feeling like, wow, this is the state of things. And people are trying to pretend that this isn't the state of things. And maybe that's a good thing, because things won't stay this way if people pretend it's not this way. <laughs> you know, maybe there is a, something good to that. Maybe people will create something better out of this. But uh, things are in the raw. Things are in the raw, and remember that. Because there is a lot to work with right now. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children 